This episode of History is Sexy contains lots of violence and gore and horrible descriptions of horrible things being done to people and torture. So if you don't want to listen, we totally understand. If you're a little bit sensitive, then there will be a small sound effect in between each one, which sounds like this. But otherwise, uh, we hope you enjoy the episode. Today. I'm okay. How are you? I'm delighted to be back on History of Sexy again, um, enjoying the sexy history. Mm-hmm. This Although this week is not that sexy. <laughs> I mean, there is some sex, probably. There is a sex. And very um, little of it is consensual, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and but there's more murder. A lot of murder. History is murder. We're now trying to come for the true crime podcast statistics (laughs) which i hear are really good it is that actually is a good call because there are a lot of unsolved murders in history you know what there are yeah what happened to the two princes for example yeah solve that murder i bet there are loads of roman murders i know tiberius investigated a murder at one point Mm -hmm. it all tends to be like this person dies of something that looked suspicious and here are the theories (laughs) yeah it's true like was he poisoned in the east or did he just get a fever? Mm-hmm. There's no way to know. Okay, we'll start a, se- a second podcast for that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the true crimes of history. One. Yeah. Well, we have to come up with a better title for it than that. Hey. But... <laughs> so rude. <laughs> but today we are talking about horrible women with a question that comes from my friend Alan, who is Alan with a V in front of his name and after his name on Twitter because he's a vegan. <laughs> That's true, that's what it is. <laughs> I thought it was maybe because he was five Allens. <laughs> He's five Allens. No, I think it's because I met Alan many, many years ago outside of a hardcore show. We queued, turned up really, really early to queue for a hardcore show for a band called Blood Brothers. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe 2003, 2002. Mm-hmm. And me and my boyfriend at the time and Alan were the only three people who turned up that early. <laughs> and then... There were very few people at the gig and it turned out that a third of the people there thought that they were purchasing tickets to the Willie Russell musical Blood Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) And like families who were all dressed up for the theatre who had turned up at the old Carling Academy and very... (laughs) Oh, that's, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, I saw, saw the Blood Brothers a load of times because they were a really amazing hardcore band. But uh, <laughs> And every time there would be like two middle-aged women wearing like Marks and Spencer's dresses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where, where I met Alan. That's it, a beautiful story. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and... Um, he is the question that he has asked is have there ever been any really horrible women of notoriety or is it just the men who are utter shits and subsequently cause the ruination of society this is a perfectly reasonable question it is it is a question that's made difficult because one of the things about history is that it was written by men and men like to ignore women so we don't have as much record as many records of we don't women also a lot of the men who caused ruination of society did 
so by being in positions of power and there are fewer women throughout history who had sufficient power to have that kind of effect and that's the end of this week's history is sexy thanks yeah no uh, <laughs> no um, yeah no it's true I, when i was kind of fiddling about with this i found a Bethany hughes quote and i can't vouch for her statistics in any way but she says that women take up only 0.5 percent of written history which is obviously ludicrous because there's no point when they haven't been 50 to 51 percent of society it's just that men tended to do all of the writing and didn't include women but we have found a lot of really horrible women actually yeah really nasty nasty bastards (laughs) to the extent that i ended up breaking them down into categories of horrible women Mm -hmm. so we're going to kind of work through them i guess see what comes up the women the categories of women that i worked out were essentially bloody rulers so Mm -hmm. women who had positions of power and used them to mostly spill the blood of other people Mm -hmm. murderers right so just women who did a lot of murdering most of them murdered a significant number of people Mm -hmm. so we're not going for people who just did one murder only that murder was particularly bad we've got two who did particularly bad murders yeah yeah so they are obviously horrible murderers and like women who really had the kind of murders that like jeffrey dahmer or something that like caused some kind of societal ripple not just going around doing a single murder like poisoning your husband or something because yeah average i mean who hasn't done that <laughs> who hasn't poisoned a husband or two? <laughs> Although one who comes up a lot in, like, I read a lot of most evil women in history lists Mm -hmm. and Belle Guinness comes up in those and all she ever did was poison a bunch of husbands and steal their insurance. It's just a way to make a living, isn't it? It is. Yeah, and then women who are were just kind of bad in their time, who were unfeminine according to their social mores of their period, mm-hmm. and who therefore have been written about in such a way as they come across as super evil. But when you break down what they actually did, it kind of wasn't that bad. Sure. So those are our categories of women. In terms of ones who really fucked up society and caused the ruination of society, we have got some who had a real bad effect on the world. (laughs) And to be honest, I spent like a full day making this list and I made a note at the end of it and it just says, I'm depressed now. Uh, because by the end of it I was like you know I think maybe actually humanity was just a waste of resources just a waste of carbon (laughs) basically we're all bad yeah but I think it's quite it's been quite nice because I think when you read about evil in inverted commas you they do tend to go to men and then evil women get put in their own separate category. Also, I think evil women tend to be women who are evil by dint of seducing men and yes. and working through them or rather than just being assholes in their own right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They, they get... As with people that we're going to cover, like, so I've written a book about Agrippina the Younger, who was the first empress of Rome. And there's like a couple of pulp books that are like, Agrippina, the most evil woman in history. Like, really? <laughs> like, I mean, she maybe, maybe killed one person. <laughs> also, there are, there are... And that was a gentle poisoning. So... Is that yeah. the most evil thing that anyone ever did? A gentle poisoning of an emperor? It's a There's a bold call considering... <laughs> <laughs> other things that have considering some of the women we're going to cover yeah, yeah. also some some of the women that i came across would be like this this woman came into power and immediately killed all of her rivals and yeah. then in a little footnote it would be like this was common in their place at that time and <laughs> 
the previous king had also done exactly the same yeah. thing. And it's everybody uh, did it. It's yeah. just that she was the only woman who ever ruled in the entirety of this dynasty. So, mm-hmm. so it makes the news. It makes the news. Yeah. yeah. I think this is the other thing is that women tend to be outstanding in some way because they are 14 men in a row and then a woman and then 112 men in a row. Yeah. And, and then women who stand alone as rulers. So we do have some of those. And all women who are mothers or wives who have too much power basically mm-hmm. again in inverted commas or don't use their power right um, and therefore get written off in like the most evil women in history list yeah we're trying to focus more on the pure bastards like the properly bad ones that you wouldn't invite to a dinner party I mean I definitely hesitate before inviting any of these women to a dinner party <laughs> yeah yeah I don't think any of them would come, to be honest. Quite a lot of them seem like they just would be like, I'm not going to dinner with you. Oh, oh no, definitely not. I'm a, a pleb. What have they got to gain? Exactly. I've only got four chairs on my dinner table. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> even not have accept that. a dinner table. Honestly. So. But in their graves, they're rolling around in the horror that we would even dare to <laughs> invite them to a party. <laughs> Where do you want to begin, Janina? Who's your first horrible woman who you think really fucked up the world? Well, I think one woman who... Start with start with a name that maybe people recognise a little bit is Catherine de' Medici. A nice one. The Queen Consort of France, who married Hen- a Henry. Which Henry did she marry? She married one of the Henrys of France, who basically ignored her for their entire marriage and uh, in favour of his mistress, whose name... Is Diane was Diane de Poitiers de Poitiers who literally he treated in a, in a very respectful way. He wore her colours when he jousted. Um, she had one of the most important royal buildings. She had all of this say Rude. in how he I know and how he ruled. Whereas the Queen uh, Catherine had almost none until Henry died in a joust. Nice. Um, lots of European royals severely damaged themselves by jousting. You'd think they would hesitate. You know, this we learned this last week. This is why they wore such heavy armor. Yeah, because but you're just hitting each other really hard with a stick. Didn't really help, did it? Because I mean, Henry VIII had a permanent injury from from jousting too much. It's just a, a silly way to behave. It seems like. Anyway, so. King Henry died, leaving his and Catherine's son, Francis, King of France. Francis, who was married to Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, I, I know a good story about that, actually. He was, yeah. Yeah. Because Mary, Mary was Queen of Scots. She was, became Queen when she was six days old. Mm-hmm. But then there was so much fuss that she was kind of, like, she was nearly killed so many times that they smuggled her out and, put, and sent her to France to go and live there for a while. And one day, Catherine said, why do you not bow to the Queen of France? And Mary was quite little at the time, and she went, why do you not bow to the Queen of Scotland? <laughs> Excellent. I've always I love had a, Mary Queen of Scots. I've always had a soft spot for Mary Queen of Scots. Also, as a child, I convinced myself that I was a descendant of her because somewhere back in my family lines there are Stuarts, and it's the nice. and it's the royal spelling of Stuart. So I. I got maybe, a lot of... Maybe you would, but they would come to your parties. Maybe they would. Maybe that's what, <laughs> why I won claim. That somewhere, and I don't know where in my history, there is a there is a Stuart that spelt right. Nice. <laughs> if that's enough. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, so, he was married to Mary. <laughs> yeah, married to Mary, Queen of Scots. And he was 15 when he came to the throne, uh, and he ruled for a while and was mu- heavily influenced by the the guys family which is all fine i don't know there was a mm-hmm. lot of there was a lot of political maneuvering and at this time in france as in the most of europe one of the most dramatic things happening was the rather new conflict between catholics and protestants yes 
You're a big deal. You're a big deal. I mean, that is, to be honest, uh, the fundament of a lot of the kind of fights between like really terrible women in Europe as <laughs> uh, each persecuting each other's the opposite religion. Yeah, and it's very difficult to pick apart what how much of it is political machinations and how much of it is religious fervor um, because yeah. one of the claims I read here is that Catherine de Medici, one of her early failures was that she she thought she could solve the conflict using politics and diplomacy because she didn't appreciate the commitment and the passion of the two different sides of the argument who believed that they were fighting for the one true religion. Yeah. Which is difficult. It is. But yeah, I don't know. Anytime when you're in a religious, a fight which is literally about religion, you are automatically only fighting with the people who care the most about the religion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they're just going to be the people that are least transient, I suppose. But yeah. yeah. She was Catholic and had problems with, I say problems with, makes it sound like they were a problem, but there were tensions between them and the uh, and the Protestant communities in France. Yes. And for a long time, she did seem to be reasonably tolerant about the differences and she tried to uh, bring peace about for a while. <laughs> I like how you're trying to like really be nice about her when we know the numbers well, that are coming. <laughs> we know the numbers that are coming. We know there is a turning point. Let's not. But. <laughs> so eventually, uh, Francis, King Francis, Catherine de Medici's son, died. Uh, he had an abscess in his ear. It was infected. One of those diseases that, or one of those deaths that probably wouldn't happen now. Yeah. Um, because it was just an infection and there was no solution for it. So she made a pact when Catherine realised that Francis was dying. She made a, ta- a pact with Antoine de Bourbon and released his brother Condé from prison, which basically ensured that she would be... The pact that ensured that she would be their queen regent, mm-hmm. which was not supposed to happen, when her youngest son, Charles, became the king because he was only nine. Yes. Yeah, it yes. was it was Antoine de Bourbon was supposed to be the regent, uh, and she made him sacrifice it to her in exchange for his brother's life. Yeah, so thereby she became the ruler of France by <laughs> via her nine year old son. By her nine year old son, the way that men women mostly gained power by being mothers. <laughs> yeah. Yep. By being mothers of kings who were too young or wives of kings who were too pathetic. Oh, you see, that's interesting you're saying too pathetic. Well, I couldn't think of, I couldn't think of a, a more innocuous word. To, <laughs> and to... pathetic is what you went with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very tired, Emma. <laughs> I can think of a more innocuous word than completely pathetic. Completely losers. They were, uh, losers, is that what? <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that is... And what did she do, Janina? So, she, for a while, like I said, <laughs> she tried to be <laughs> diplomatic. But and now I need to make sure I get, I'm going to get the date right. It was 1572. It was 1572. St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Yeah. There were all these manoeuvres where Catherine seemed to be trying to make alliances and she had... Oh, yeah, yeah. She was, looked like she was trying to arrange marriages and alliances with her own children. Uh, she Oh, no, between her... Yeah, she, she married her daughter, Margaret to mm-hmm. the son of the, the the king of Navarre, was it? Yeah. Have I got that right? I've got that right. Who was a Protestant, but she also murdered his <laughs> wife. Well, she may I mean, not that have. Was, that was the ruler. <laughs> the, her, her daughter's new mother-in-law died after agreeing to the marriage. <laughs> In some suspicious circumstances. In some very suspicious circumstances. 
Catherine called her to Paris. She came to Paris to buy clothes and was buying clothes for the wedding and she died Well, that was one of our historical murder mysteries. Yeah. So she was accused by the Huguenots of murdering her with poisoned gloves, which is such an unrealistic method of murder. It's very Medea. I like it. Yeah, I love it a lot. I don't know if it would work, but I like it. Yeah. There's no way to know if she really did it. And the defence against her is that she had nothing to gain by that death because the marriage had already been agreed to and it did go ahead. Anyway, three days after the wedding between Catherine's daughter and the Prince of Nevers, Admiral Coligny, who was uh, an important... I always forget which side he was on. I think he's <laughs> a Huguenot. He was with the Huguenots and he was shot while he was walking out through Paris and he was wounded in the hand and arm and the gun that shot at him was discovered in a window but the person who shot had escaped and he recovered. He had a finger amputated and Catherine promised to punish his attacker. But... Two days later, St. Bartholomew's Day massacre. <laughs> Two days later, yeah, they did start just massacring people a lot. Yes. So it's suggested that this was because they expected a Huguenot uprising as a vengeance on the fact that Colony had been shot and they decided to strike first against that happening and wipe out all the Huguenots who might oppose them, mm-hmm. which is flimsy as an excuse to start killing people. But, you know, you take the reasons you've got, I guess. So basically there was a slaughter of Huguenots in Paris for almost a week that spread across the whole of the country um, and kept going right into, like, for for several weeks. Weeks Weeks and weeks of just killing wildly. It began with Charles ordering the execution of a bunch of Huguenots and then apparently... The Catholic French were so pissed off that they were just like, oh, so that's how it starts. And just started rampaging through the Protestant communities and absolutely yeah. slaughtering them. Like this this light bulb moment for everyone. We can just kill Protestants and then yeah. there won't be a problem. Yeah. And the reason that this gets put on those like most terrible women in history things is that Catherine is considered to be responsible for starting this and that the numbers of people who eventually died, the lowest estimate is 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. And the highest estimate is 70,000 people, (laughs) which is a huge amount. I mean, admittedly, Catherine herself was not like bathing around in the blood of of all of these people. Yeah. And she wasn't like tearing out their entrails and making lampshades out of their skin. But she is generally considered to have been the, the mastermind behind it yeah or the catalyst perhaps it wasn't helped by the fact that they continued just pretending that it wasn't happening basically and like held a a celebration in the middle of it (laughs) like did a big jubilee which doesn't look great procession and just they're yeah it's not ideal Yeah, and it ended with, well, I mean, it was one of those situations again, which is replicated everywhere. People had to convert or be killed. So um, the king of Navarre ended up, or Navarre, I don't know, uh, (laughs) ended up converting to avoid being killed and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, it was was a nasty time. The 16th Mm. century was a pretty terrible time in Europe in general because the other woman who comes up a lot on these lists is the English Bloody Mary, uh, a.k.a. Mary I, the first actual queen of England Mm -hmm. in that she was the first woman who actually got to be queen of England, which was quite exciting for her. Unfortunately, uh, she kind of was a dickhead and you you can't even really be like, oh, well, she tried her best to solve the problem. 
Um, like you can with Catherine you can't even really hedge around it yeah no she just she just went on a bit of a spree she did go on a small spree so she was the daughter of Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII and she was Catholic um, and was always Catholic and she strongly opposed her father's separation from the church from the Catholic church and she really resisted having anything to do with Henry VIII's kind of attacks on the Uh, the Catholic Church in England. Unfortunately for her, she came after Henry VIII, who had, you know, stripped the monasteries, stripped the church of so much land, had stripped it of a lot of power in England. And then her brother, Edward VI, maybe, who... (laughs) Edward the something. Edward the number. I'm pretty sure it's a sixth. It is sixth, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And who were staunch, I mean... I mean, Henry wasn't a staunch anything other than dick, but <laughs> Edward was a very staunch, a staunch Protestant. Henry was a staunch six-pierced, and that's all that can be said for him. <laughs> he was. Uh, he enacted the rough wooing of Mary, Queen of Scots, to go back to her, which is where you invade a country in the hope that they'll marry, she'll marry your son. When she I was mean, an infant. That's why she had to go to France, because Henry was trying to get her to marry her son and other people were trying to kill him. Um, and his way of wooing her was to just continually start burning shit in her country. The thing I love about <laughs> Queen Mary is, and you know you know how I love to talk about fiction on this history podcast. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you read any fiction about uh, this sort of period in English history, there's this whole thing where, you know, Catherine of Aragon was this devout Spanish, traditional Catholic woman yeah. um, whose faith was the most important thing about her and then and her passing that on to her daughter and then... And Berlin comes along and she's very progressive and clever and, and yeah. reads all the books and is very interested in the reformation of the church and mm-hmm. passes that on to her daughter. So you have these two two princesses set up in opposition to each other, not only because Anne Boleyn's status as queen was also being disputed all the time, as well as Catherine of Aragon's, I suppose, depending on who you listen to, but but by the the different ideologies that were imposed upon them by their their mothers which is an interesting dynamic yes it is an interesting dynamic and mary i think was very much the kind of maligned sister Mm. because of what happened to her mother but she survived was a strong catholic and as soon as she managed to take the throne which she took by force because people didn't want a queen um, (laughs) and they there were enough people around who didn't want a catholic queen that she had to she had to kill off poor lady jane gray Including, um, yeah, including Edward, who didn't want a Catholic. No, he tried. He he gave it to Lady Jane Grey, who was yeah. just some random cousin who was sitting around in her house, and then one day a man turned up and was like, "You're queen now," and she was like, "No." <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sounds dangerous. Ended. And then, like twenty minutes later, Mary's troops turned up and were like, "You're not queen anymore, but we are going to have to execute you." And then she got a haircut <laughs> off. Poor woman. She was well, about seventeen or something. She was yeah. So she took it by force, and then she very, very emphatically tried to restore Catholicism and to re-establish Catholicism as a proper church in England and to wipe out Protestantism because Mm -hmm. apparently in the 16th century you couldn't have both. You could only have one religion. And so her way of doing that was to just quite literally set fire to Protestants. (laughs) (laughs) She even had 284 Protestants burnt at the stake in a three-year period. Which is excessive. It Um, is a a huge amount of people. And not just, like, I mean, 
everyone from very, very prominent Protestants like Thomas Cranmer, right the way down to just like random people on the street who were, you know, if they weren't following it properly, they were imprisoned and tortured and then burnt at the stake. It was then made worse by, I say made worse, it was the re- one of the reasons why it's kind of so remembered as being so horrible is that it was memorialised by a guy who made a load of woodcuts and wrote a book about the martyrs, as they were called, going Protestant martyrs dying mm-hmm. for their faith because... I mean, theoretically, all you needed to do in order to not be burnt at the stake is just say, okay, not a Protestant anymore. Yeah. And publicly pretend that you weren't a Protestant. But they they all died because they refused to do that, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so they were considered to be martyrs. And he wrote alongside the drawings of them dying very, very horrible descriptions of what being burnt at the stake does to you. Which is nothing pleasant. It is... Not person, and I'm not going to read it out because it's really quite horrible. But <laughs> it is very graphic, and it is illustrated, and it is yeah. It, it was very. It had a very strong impact on this kind of psyche, and this was happening at you know, broadly the same time. This is slightly before the St Bartholomew's Day massacre, but they're all happening at a very similar time. And so you have these these women who are involved in a very horrible and ongoing kind of religious war, essentially, and who both seem to think that just brutally eradicating the opposition, yeah, is the way was to a go. good idea, yeah. yeah. I mean, and Mary is not helped, her reputation is not helped by the fact that one, she only had a five-year reign because she died of stomach cancer after five years. Two, her husband hated her and her husband was Philip of Spain. Um, And Mm -hmm. so he had quite a loud voice about how much he could say he didn't like her. And all of her portraits make her look like the worst mother-in-law in in the world. Like, she's she's just... Super (laughs) stern. She's judging you for everything. So angry all the time. Yeah, and so she is... So she just doesn't like... It's really hard to be like, oh, I'm sure maybe she was just really nice and private or maybe she tried but no she just set fire to people again there's no sense that she necessarily particularly got like pleasure out of it like she wasn't a sadist and we are going to come to some sadists later but this was something that she was was into like you don't burn 284 people yeah in a country as small as england which means that you know virtually there's, there's not many communities that weren't in some way affected by it although a lot of them were like high-ranking people in london and east anglia and the rest but still like this this isn't something that you can pretend isn't happening yes no (laughs) and it did not make catholicism popular in england (laughs) it didn't although uh, there are arguments that her vehemence in Mm -hmm trying to reinstitute Catholicism because she came in and then obviously we have Elizabeth afterwards and it's pretty much Protestants all the way down after that. Yeah. But so like her single point of vehemence in the middle was the the only thing that really saved Catholicism as a church in England. Yeah. It, it may have been almost completely eradicated. I think it probably did also have the effect of kind of moderating the protestantism that was around as well because one of the conflicts between just uh, on an ideology ideological level between protestantism and catholicism at that time was that catholicism was seen by protestants as being unnecessarily lavish and <laughs> the church was incredibly rich yes in a in a way that seemed um not particularly godly if you were 
one of on of a more self-denying Protestant bent. Mm-hmm. But after um, Mary stirred everyone up, there was an. I think I'm pretty sure Elizabeth made a, a concert, like a conscious attempt to try and moderate how fervently like she definitely persecuted Catholics this is why oh, yeah. this is why people have popes holes in their houses so yeah. you could hide if if someone came raging looking for for um horrible Catholics who were against the right church in England at that time I think what you get with a lot of women in the past like because another woman who came up a lot was Wu Zetain, Zetain who was an empress of China from 690 about ish so like we're talking what is effectively the english the european early middle ages and she was one of the multiple wives of an emperor who basically was believed to have killed and manipulated her way through the ranks of the multiple wives Mm -hmm. in order to kind of become the favorite consort and when you're the favorite consort you get lots of privileges. And one of the ways in which she was believed to to do that is to kill her own infant daughter and then frame one of her rivals. So frame the favoured consort and be like, she killed my daughter so that she would fall out of favour, essentially, and she could take her place. Whether that happened or not is a different question, but uh, it's certainly something. But when she did that, she then kind of, she's a classic, had too much power as a wife and then became Empress Regent for her son, but was the first and potentially only woman in Chinese imperial history to take the name of emperor herself. Mm-hmm. So not to rule as a under the name of consort or under the name of mother of the emperor or under some kind of modified thing that suggests that she's not the sole power, mm-hmm. but to take that name and say, I am the emperor, which obviously pissed people off. <laughs> but the reason that she is considered to be one of these terrible, wicked women who appears on all of these lists is because she's unpopular um, and unpopular people tend to people who try to have coups against them mm-hmm. and try to, you know, and also any imperial household has people who are trying to kill each other. Yeah. Um, so she set up an, she set up her own secret police and then allegedly, and I tell you what, a lot of people on the internet like to pretend that they know a lot of detail about this or like write about it as though they know it's a lot of detail, but no sources survive, um, allegedly developed a manual of torture called the Manual of Accusation. That's, which a, is quite... that's a euphemistic name. It is a euphemistic name. And some of the tortures that were that were recorded in this, and there's no details about these, so this isn't too terrible, but the names are pretty awful. The piercing of 100 veins is one. Uh-huh. Dying swine's melancholy. Wow. It's nice. It's supposed to allegedly re- refer to the sound that oh, the right. victim would make. Sure, so, like a pig. Like a dying pig, right. yeah. Um, my personal favourite is begging for the slaughter of my entire family. <laughs> <laughs> that is evocative. It's really evocative um, and I have no idea what it could be. And there's no, like, I mean, I don't want to say disappointingly, but disappointingly, <laughs> there's no, like, detail of what any of these could be which kind of makes it worse because you can imagine for yourself what begging for the slaughter of my entire family might be or even like the fact that you can't like you can like you can imagine stuff that would make you big for your own death yeah like what 
what could be so much worse than that? Yeah. Then it gets to 1984. But lots of people on the internet say, like, if you Google it, then you just get literally the same sentence repeated over and over again, which all just goes back to the Wikipedia page, as far as I can tell. But basically, the begging, no, dying swine's melancholy is conflated with one which is from literally a thousand years earlier, so we called Empress Lu, who allegedly had one of her rivals subjected to something called the human swine torture, uh-huh. in which she had all of their limbs cut off and then their tongue cut out and then they were thrown into like a cesspit mm-hmm. and then... Her, she sent her son so basically she was the mother of the emperor and the son was like one of her the rival was one of her son's consorts and so she sent her son to go and see him and then was like this is your consort who has tried to do with me this is what happens when you fuck with Empress Lu and he was so upset he like cried for a month I can I can sympathise with that That's yeah but that one's called the human swine torture which is obviously different to the dying swine's melancholy yes but we don't know in what way because we have no details we have no details and so this has become one of those things where like it, there's there's good stories and it, so it says oh she set up like a secret a box and was like if you've got like a complaints box essentially and was like if you put your complaints in this box and then I'll deal with them and then took the complaints and then had the complainants to her tortured and murdered mm-hmm. <laughs> which it sounds like a lot of bosses I've had in the past yeah but this is one of those things where the the details are so sketchy and it's so long ago that and the fact that she is the only woman who ever ruled under the name of emperor yeah kind of makes you go really as did she really when there's you know so yeah so what you've got there is a lot of women who killed a lot of people but not personally so (laughs) they just ordered it done yeah like madame mao is one who comes up a lot um chairman mao's wife Mm -hmm. jeng kenchin yeah yeah. Who who was a terrible person. Like she's one in this list I've highlighted ones who I think have genuinely contributed to making the world like significantly worse. Like in on a global sense, mm-hmm. have made the world significantly worse. And Madame Mao is one of them, simply because of the like number of people because she was she was very influential she was a partner to chairman mao she was very much a power in the cabinet of of the communist party um, and she had the gang of four who were kind of four kind of high level communists who all conspired together basically in order to to direct where the where the regime went and were intimately involved with the cultural revolution and the cultural revolution ended up with just millions of deaths <laughs> and and tortures and and people torturing one another the numbers that are given for her are 34,000 people who are considered to have died as a result of her Mm-hmm. And the weirdly specific number of 729,511 victims who are considered to be kind of her, like, as a result of the Gang of Four, essentially. She didn't torture her rivals, she tortured their children. Yeah. She's one of those people who, like, you wouldn't want her at a dinner party, not because she seems like she'd be real grim, but just because she feels like she would probably be trying to work out ways that she could use your life against you. Right. And like who is the person that you like the most that she could torture in order to get you to do what she wants yeah and she kind of scares me yeah that's like proper terrifying cold-mindedness and yeah it's always a sense of and like yeah you know people are people i don't want to i don't want to say that there is a person who is less a person than anyone else but there is something inhuman in her behavior 
Yeah, in the same way that there was with, you know, with Mao himself and with all the other mm. members of that group. But yeah, no, there is absolutely something terrifying about that. In the same way that the another person who comes under the bloody rulers, it's difficult to say how far you can put these together because when with the more modern ones like Madame Mao, like the like Biljana Plavšić, who is Serbian, we have their words. Biljana Plavšić was the only woman to be convicted of crimes against humanity as a result of the Bosnian genocide in Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. and she pled guilty to that in order to not be tried for two counts of genocide and five counts of crimes against humanity. And she, because this happened in the 1990s, her words are on television and we have her words where she says things like, you know, as a biologist, the problem with Muslims is that they are genetically deformed. Right. And the ethnic cleansing is a natural thing to wipe out the germs in Bosnian society and that kind of thing. Like she was a, <laughs> like an overtly terrible human being on yeah. television. And so it's much feels so very visceral. And in the same way that we have the words of Madame Rao, like the closeness of that. And so it's easy for us to say with people like Mary and Catherine de Medici, oh, they only oversaw the, the murder of 10,000 people. We don't know what they said in private necessarily. We don't know that if they were yeah. writing letters that say, the thing with Protestants is they are genetically deformed and they should just all be wiped out. Yeah. And we might treat them quite differently if we had those. Some hard evidence. <laughs> yeah. But the different, you know, the things that, that Madame Mao did and that Bujana Plavšić did are not significantly different from the things that Mary did. Like they mm. ordered, oversaw and happily did the paperwork for the murder of many hundreds of people. Yeah. And each individual life was something that they said, yeah, okay. Yeah. That, that is fine. And it's particularly like, I think there's a real tense to particularly like Mary these days to kind of mitigate that she did but she was one thing that people say about Mary is that she was really involved in the paperwork she'd stay up all night and really deal with those issues yeah and read through all of the whatever the 16th century equivalent of red boxes is so she knew and she chose and she said yes and she signed the paper yeah in the same way that Plavšić knew and signed the paper and sent people in and actively tried to hurt Bosnian Muslims yeah and yeah, there's no significant difference except the passing of time, really. Yeah, the passing of time and the all the evidence that that yeah. implies that we have in more recent cases. But yeah, it's it is it's it is essentially people just thumbs up to murder. Thumbs all up around. to murder. I tell you, a lot of people just religion just kept murdering people over religion. Yeah, it is because the other one that comes up a lot is Ranavalona, the first of Madagascar, who is which is an interesting one like she 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 came up on all of the evil women lists that i looked at yeah she's a very very interesting woman she's interesting because of um, the point yeah because she she took over as queen after her husband who was the king died without leaving any descendants well he did she had his son but he wasn't really he was born 11 months after the king died so he was named as the king's son but he was not (laughs) 11 months (laughs) at all i was like an um, elephant pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it when a queen is so powerful that she's like, yes, my 11 month pregnancy. <laughs> and everyone's like, okay, yeah, cool. Well done. What a miracle. <laughs> I mean, I, how, 
you just kind of count on nobody being count. Counted. She's like, <laughs> she shows up, she says she's three months pregnant when really she's five. And, yeah. you know, who's going to She's just been pregnant argue? for a really long time. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. Yeah. We're inducing her any day. Um, <laughs> and her, her reign was a really violent one. She slowly, over the first few years, the, the first six years of her reign, because at this point, Madagascar was in the middle of the colonialist well, it was being essentially fought for both by French and English colonialist powers. And there had been a treaty with England, but when she took the throne, she tore up that treaty and disregarded it entirely. And slowly, over the first few years of her reign, began to bring in laws against Christian faith and against missionaries, starting with, oh, you just, I'm just, my own people can't practice, and, mm. and but you're fine, you keep doing what you're doing, until finally she was like, no, Christianity is outlawed, and I'm going to kill everyone. Um, <laughs> And she caused a, and that caused a huge increase in conflict. The, the, yeah. the population of Madagascar supposedly, based on estimates, halved over her rule, partly because of the conflict and partly because she put in place or she re, she she really made use of what is called fanampoana, uh, which is forced labour in lieu of tax payments. And people were put to work really harshly and died under the conditions that they were forced to work in as well. Yeah, and then she was really enjoyed basically a thing called trial by Tangena, which is um, basically poison. If you take the poison, you kind of It kind of feels similar to witchcraft trials in... Yeah, uh, it... Where, yeah, like, if, you, if you if we throw you in the river and you don't drown, that means you're a witch, so we'll burn you. <laughs> yeah, but this you you basically they would poison two animals in front of you in order to prove that the poison worked, and then you would swallow. I can't remember what the food is now, um, but there would I think it was sw- chicken skin. Was it chicken three, skin? Three pieces of three chicken, chicken skin along skin. with the poison, and then if you threw up all three of the chicken skins then you were innocent because you weren't poisoned but if you only threw up two or if you just died of the poison then that proved that you were guilty and so yeah it was pretty terrible like way to be tried yeah and Uh, that was used for everything like everything including being a christian including being a christian um but as well as witchcraft and theft and just it was pulled out of the pulled out of the pocket all the time. Yeah. The issue with her though is that because it is this period because she was so anti-colonialist, there is a certain sense that she was attempting to purge essentially British colonial influence from her country just in a really terrible way. Yeah. Um, a- there's a great to- book about her which is called The Female Caligula. Um <laughs> Which I don't own, but I really wish I did, because it was great fun. Yeah. Because she's basically seen as like this insane tyrant, where insane is used in the most pejorative term, that she was just completely wild with power and just wanted to hurt people, essentially. And then there are other depictions, which are like that she is, actually was a, an anti-colonial. But though she mainly killed her own people is the problem. And the having her as some kind of anti-colonial Madagascan hero is massively undermined by the fact that the main people that she killed and yeah. put to forced labour were Madagascan people. And she tried to invade other parts of Africa and caused enormous amounts of death of mainly her own people. Yeah. She was trying to establish her own empire essentially in the face of the colonial empires that were trying to impose themselves on Madagascar. So it's like it's a there's a it's a 
you know, it's a powder keg of a situation. (laughs) It's a powder keg of a situation, unhelped by the fact that she, as I say, primarily, she's put a lot of effort into hurting large amounts of her own people. Yeah, which she did both directly and indirectly by causing circumstances where people died. And also because she took so much... In a similar kind of situation to kind of cultural revolutionary China, took so much away from the land in order to contribute to her own projects, including, you know, her attempts to colonize other places and building projects and stuff and forced labor that she just caused widespread famine as well, just for fun. Yeah, so a lot so, going on there. So this is, I think the thing with a lot of these women is that they do tend to be quite complex. I think there is a tendency to be like, oh, well, she was a powerful woman and to end up being in those like rebel stories and being powerful is inherently good. But each of them reasonably happily enjoyed killing people and fucked up their own country in some way. <laughs> I mean, we could sit here all day and list wives and mothers of kings and queens, but we have some murderers to get on to, Janina. We do have some murderers and... Some of them are doozies. Some of them are doozies. Like the top one that comes up every single time is Elizabeth Bathory. Mm-hmm. So all the lists, Elizabeth Bathory, and they're like, oh my God, she killed 650 women and girls and like bled them and bathed in her blood. And she's called all of these insane things like blood obsessed mass murderess and the world <laughs> champion lady vampire of all time. Which yeah. I am sad that I will never have that title because no, I want to be you can't the beat world this. champion lady vampire. <laughs> and she technically, and I think I have some issues with Guinness on this one, but she holds the Guinness Book of World Record for like the most prolific female serial killer. Mm-hmm. And so this is all really cool. So she's this Hungarian like duchess and she is like just kills women and women are going missing all over the place. And in everything that you read, they say there were 290 witness statements that proved her guilt. But then you kind of go down into it and there's this really good book about it. It's in German, unfortunately. So no, like if you read German, you can read it. But there is a, um, a kind of a write-up of it in an English book called Murderesses in German Writing. And it kind of breaks down all of those witness statements and actually has them because it's not that. It's 16th century, again. Breaks them all down. And 229 of those say, oh, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest of them are like, maybe, and like four are, I saw her murdering a person. Yeah, because she did get caught in the act. Well, she was caught. Supposedly. Allegedly. So the guy who was the, called the Palatine of Hungary, which is also a great name, apparently heard all of these stories about women going missing and went to investigate. And he wrote a letter in which he said that he found two, a uh, one woman dead and one woman dying in her house. Mm-hmm. And that really the best evidence that we've got. And then yeah. she was never, she didn't really, she did have a trial, but she didn't have to go. So, which is always written as because she was rich, she was saved a trial. Just meant that she didn't have to have the humiliation of being there, if you see what I mean. So, but they did have a trial and all these people turned up and went, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And like, there's no, like even in their original letters and stuff, there's, and the original kind of, not trial transcripts, but like coverage of the trial. It's all just like, there's no bloodbaths or blood drinking or vampirism or anything. And eventually she just got kind of spirited away and kept in a cellar for the rest of her life. That was it. Yeah, uh, which, I think it was like four, four years she spent in prison and then yeah, she just died. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of sucks for her, but... Yeah, it's not the best. But also if she murdered hundreds of girls, then... Well, the thing is that the, six, the 650 comes from one servant who said he saw a notebook in which she had listed 650 names 
Mm-hmm. And then, but there was, nobody ever found the notebook, and then he took it back later. So I don't think that she murdered six hundred and fifty people. Official best, official court records, I think, had it at eighty, something like that. But even so, that is, I mean, it's it's too many. It's too many it's girls too who have been murdered. There are people who say that she never really murdered. There's potentially that she never really murdered anyone and that actually it was a weird plot to get her land, essentially. Sure. I mean, I feel like there are less complicated plots. <laughs> uh, well, just accuse her of murdering someone and then... Uh, but when you get down into the evidence of Elizabeth Bathory, I have to say, it doesn't live un- up to world champion lady vampire of all time. <laughs> yeah. It was quite underwhelming. It was just like, I don't know, at worst kind of average. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> average serial killer probably wasn't bathing in the blood of women. Probably wasn't. But like, I, I mean, that's a nice image. I mean, it's quite cool. There's one called Daria Saltikova, mm-hmm. who is also a kind of duchess. And she was imprisoned by Catherine the Great. And she seems to have murdered quite a lot of women, potentially up to 140. And Catherine the Great of Russia got involved in that because apparently so many women had gone missing from her land that mm-hmm. her serfs had basically reported her up the chain because they were like, she's killing our daughters. But there's so little about her in English. Yeah. That like there's quite a lot in Russian, but I don't read any Russian. If but. anyone out there reads Russian and wants <laughs> to tell us, because yeah, I, I would be yeah, because I couldn't, I didn't like, I don't know, I don't want to be sensationalist about this, you know. But it's it's really difficult to tell because she seems to be, if there is a woman who killed hundreds of women and potentially did terrible things to her, because there's loads of the stories about her that are there are that she was a sadist, so mm-hmm. she was start with her servants. And the serfs who work in the house with start by punishing them for doing some imagined slight. And then those punishments would get more and more severe. And then each imagined slight was a, a further evidence of their deserving of punishment. And they would ramp up until she was kind of fully torturing them and then they would die. Yeah. Like she enjoyed, you know, from the little that there is about, that she enjoyed the, the violence and the hurting of people. Yeah. And that in that, you know, area in which she lived, she really kind of was running out of women to murder. <laughs> so she seems like potentially she deserves like the fame that Elizabeth Bathory has. Because Elizabeth Bathory, as far as I'm telling, I don't know. I wonder, and this might be, I don't know, this might not be fair. wonder if it's because Elizabeth Bathory has an easier name to pronounce. Oh, maybe. It's I mean, easier. that wasn't her name, obviously. That's no. the anglicised version of her name. But there, um, is, but there is one. And yeah. it's, it, you know, people are lazy about names. I think it helps that there is a big chunk of stuff about her, like, written in German as well. Um, like mm-hmm. the original books and stuff were primarily written in German. Uh, so sure. you don't have to translate it out of Russian. Because, fair. you know, once you get... She becomes really big in like the 18th, 19th century that people start to latch onto her as a vampire and turn her into a fictionalised version yeah. of uh, of her. Um, so she becomes she becomes the world champion lady vampire of all time. And, and, and you know, if you're an educated person anywhere in Europe then you probably read German so I was not so to I get did hold. not <laughs> it's much easier to get hold of those stories than it was to get hold of stories in Russian about people under Catherine the Great yeah so yeah she's like I think that she's I don't know I'd like to read more about her because she's potentially more interesting I think because once you get into the big ones you find so much of it is overblown Delphine LaLaurie is the other one who I was like I'd always knew as this terrible kind of terrible murderer, murdered 
hundreds of slaves, tortured mm-hmm. them, da, da 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 But then once you break it down and you actually... I sat and read, like, Baltimore newspapers from the 19th century uh, and you find that actually... I mean, it wasn't great, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> she did not uh, do good thi- good things. So so the story about Delphine LaLaurie is that she was a, a slave owner in New Orleans mm-hmm. and... This is her house uh, burnt down. I think for people who have watched it, she is played in American Horror Story by Kathy Bates. Yes, she is. She was um, amazing. And obviously, in that version, she is very, very awful. In that version, she is very, very awful, and she lives up to the kind of worst excesses of the stories that are told about Madame La Lolly. Um, in that, basically, her house burnt down, and she refused to. She tried to stop people getting in to to see her to rescue her slaves. And when people eventually broke down a door, they like kind of got in to rescue her. They found that what her one of her slaves was chained to the kitchen stove mm-hmm. and was kind of starving to death. And that there were several locked in an attic in various states of what appeared to be torture. So with kind of covered in scars, wearing kind of collars with spikes on the inside so they can't relax their head at any mm-hmm. point, kind of suspended from the ceiling and so on and there was kind of this mass outcry and she was she was chased out of town that was their response to that but their response to that was to chase her out of town and then and this is the bit that really blew me away to take the slaves and put them on display in the prison sure that's what they need <laughs> in order to prove to people that it had happened basically and they the New Orleans Bee, which sounds like a lovely paper, said that 4,000 people went to go and have a look at the tortured staves. So they didn't... like, the, And this isn't a society that is super, like, oh my God, don't hurt the slaves. They were upset yes. because slaves were being hurt in an urban environment. And New Orleans at the time had laws about how you could treat slaves. Um, and she was breaking those laws. Sure. And, you know, she was enacting plantation slavery punishments. Like, there's collar with the like she got that from like a slave market that was a normal thing and the suspension and the whippings and the things that you know that she did were plantation slavery and she was doing it to people in the city and the people of new orleans were horrified that she was bringing home the realities of slavery essentially when they thought that they were doing soft slavery they were doing you know they could convince themselves that it was fine and all their slaves actually really liked working for them. And and this meant that they couldn't do that. And as a result of that, that then kind of grew into the stories about her torturing slaves for her own pleasure. But what it really is, is a story about how people had tried to convince themselves that slavery was okay and then had it thrust in their faces that it wasn't. Right. Which is a much more depressing story. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it was not not an uplifting story to start with and now we've just made it worse for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. But, I mean, it's one of the things that's weird about history is that you there are so few stories about people doing this to slaves. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she's... And she gets... To, you know, when you get to American Horror Story, she's, like, got bits of body all over her attic and she is enacting kind of extremely imaginative tortures yeah and and that grows out of this story where they people tell themselves in order to convince themselves that she was too terrible she was so much terrible more terrible than they were yeah but so rather than being a sadist who enjoyed 
inflicting pain on other people. She was just as many people were at that time in that place, someone who did not view black people as being people. Yeah, essentially. So um, there's, uh, to my mind, there's not, that's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to see which is worse, to be honest. <laughs> it is kind of, um, I mean, they're both hopefully in hell. And if anything, you know, which said Martin Luther King Day, if anything, the people who convinced themselves that slavery was fine and mm-hmm. that the, they could have some kind of slavery where you had slaves, but you also had rules about how you treated them. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of worse (laughs) but it's interesting how these stories get like the these stories get turned into myths of of something so hideous yeah and then when you break it down the actual crime of like oh well maybe seven to nine people looks much less but it's actually still horrific yeah like all of them were but this is i think one of the downsides to the mythologies that come up around people like her and more recently as well like i think as a society we really want to distance ourselves from those sorts of acts Mm. so we mythologize them and i think this is true of uh, obviously this is really relevant in the political climate today but i think this has happened with the term nazi it lets us see people who participated in the holocaust as inhuman but they weren't they were people those things were done by people and if we ignore the fact that that's true then it makes it more difficult for us to see when it's happening again and when it's happening around us and when people we know are beginning to espouse the same sorts of ideologies because they are people and so therefore they can't be that evil because to be that evil is to be inhuman yeah that's not the way it works at all all of this stuff was done just by ordinary people yeah and i think that Speaking of Nazis, <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why female Nazis co- have bring so much horror to people. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we've, we have talked about while we've been planning this out, that the, this idea that women have to be somehow pure and women are somehow gooder. Gooder? Better? More good? Yeah. Than a more, more fundamentally, caring, more yeah, like naturally n- nurturing and that therefore yes. something that is done by a woman is more horrifying than something that is done by a man. And so we're like Nazi males, as in literally of the German Nazi party who are involved in the final solution. It's nice that we have to make that distinction now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I'm going to say this about like the ones that get put in the New York Times as well. But there is a sense that, yes, men are violent and men are, are not nurturing and that, you know, this is patriarchal ideas of what masculinity is. Mm-hmm. And men are dominant and of course men would be nazis which is extremely damaging to boys too but and therefore when you find female nazis in the holocaust and working within the camps and the women who were prosecuted for that and like the things that are said about them then it becomes much more horrifying yeah don't know if you've ever read the reader bernard schlick schlick i have not it looks really grim (laughs) it is really grim but like that whole idea is that she's a beautiful woman but she's a nazi and she's sexually abusing her yeah um she's sexually abusing these men or these boys in the concentration camp. And mm-hmm. that that tension is at the centre of it, that, that uh, she is a beautiful, soft woman, but she has also... Done these awful, awful things. She also is doing these awful, awful mm. things. And Irma Gress is the one, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, is the one who, I don't know, it's kind of based on, she was like 22, 23, when she was a guard in Auschwitz. Mm. And a book was written about her that I now can't remember the name of. Um, it's called The Five Chimneys, sorry. 
which was written by a, a female prisoner who was under her guard. And she's very young. She's She is beautiful and blonde curls. And if you saw her on the street, you'd be like, you know, halo effect. Isn't she lovely? Mm-hmm. But she was notorious for the pleasure that she took in torturing male and female prisoners. In And she took pride in appearing very glamorous and very beautiful which was read by the prisoners as a form of sadism against them in their inability to be beautiful Mm. to that she would appear to be so elegant and so put together and so well made up but she was also you know extremely violent extremely sexually violent towards both men and women and took an extreme amount of pleasure in in the pain on all, and the emotional yeah. and physical pain that she caused the prisoners. Yeah. And, you know, and so you have this and it's more shocking and it is viscerally, like it's so encoded into uh, everything that we've done to say that about a woman than it is about a man. Yeah. And there are all these details about her as well, like the fact that she told the prisoners that she was planning to be an actress after the war was over and this separation of what she's doing and the idea of a normal life beyond it, which is another thing that I think people find difficult to comprehend, that someone who commits acts of violence against people like this could also be thinking of, you know, something like being a movie star. It's really interesting, I think. Yeah, I mean there are there are loads of there are loads of women for the googling, and I will warn you before looking them up. But there's Catherine Knight who did horrific things. She only murdered one person, but so horrifically that she made the list. She was terrible. Yeah, there's like I don't know. There's ton. Clara um, Marova is a terrible one. Don't look her up. Just don't. Very upsetting. And then you know female serial killers basically. We've talked for ages and there are tons of horrible women. Yeah, as it turns out, women are awful too. And they have contributed equally to the fucking up of society. No, that's not Yes, actually, no, I'm going to say equally because, you know, women are as... What's the word I'm looking for? They collaborate. Women collaborate in the enforcing of patriarchal and violent norms as much as men do. And they always have. Even if it comes to the point where you are discussing the fact that your friend hasn't shaved their armpits you are enforcing a patriarchal norm and you know there have always been women who do this yeah and 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 that sort of thing is also it's impossible to weight this for a couple of reasons one being that we don't have the same amount of documentation um Mm -hmm. and the other is that often women are operating in in those sorts of i mean i'm going to say in the the lesser not quite so much the murdery end of the spectrum. Uh, <laughs> or but if they are well doing in the murdery end of the spectrum, it tends to be in the domestic sphere. Yeah. Uh, no, I was, end I was of the going spectrum. to say, in terms of upholding a, a patriarchy, sometimes that is out of conditioning and um, fucked up internal attitudes that have been affected by the... It's like a vicious cycle. Patriarchy well, hey, makes everyone men are bad, doing is too. I think what I'm saying. Patriarchy sucks for everybody. It sucks for everyone, and let's burn it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the answer to the question, William. I mean, we could talk about it for another six hours, but the answer to a question, Alan, is yes. <laughs> there are, as it turns out, lots of really horrible women, and they totally and they are there, and they enjoyed it. So <laughs> yeah, women are as sadistic and awful as men. Yeah, that's what we so, learned. Next time, we're going to be answering a question which comes from Jenny Gauck, who is here in Belfast and is a nice PhD student. 
And she has a question which is one right up my alley and two perfectly <laughs> phrased. Uh, and her question is, when in Rome, what did the Romans do? That's a very good question. It is a very good question. <laughs> um, so that's what we're going to be asking. If you have any questions, then you can email us at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at sexyhistorypod. Or you can talk to me at, at Nuclear Teeth. And you can talk to me at J9 and F. And you can talk to Oliver, who produces and edits and does all of the nice music and makes us sound good at, at Kiwa. But until next time, Janina, I'm going to go and probably have a lie down and a drink now. Oh, that sounds good. Feel a bit depressed. So. <laughs> <laughs> the world is grim. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Janina. Bye, Emma. Bye.